Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. We're believing for breakthrough this morning. It can happen in the worship. It can happen in the preaching. It can happen in a good cup of coffee in a conversation after church, but I'm believing for breakthrough for you this morning. You may be seated. Uh, It's great to be in church this morning. Great that you are here this morning. Um, It's my absolute privilege at this point in the service. I'm actually going to invite someone else to preach this morning. We're, We're a church that believes in raising up the next generation, empowering people, and just giving an opportunity to grow and, and to stretch and just to, to step out, maybe out of their comfort zone a little bit. And, uh, and uh, I don't know, I don't think this is much of a stretch for you. Man, you, you got this, Luke. It's so good, so good. But uh, I'm going to ask Luke to come at this time, and, and he's going to share... <laughs> Giver. Well, that's easy to follow. Um, thanks, Glenn. I kind of wish he came up here and stumbled around a bit and kind of mumbled and was like, oh, yeah, Jesus is good. And then I would have been like, hello, and I would have seemed a little bit more powerful. But we're going to go for it. So good morning. I think I know most of you, but definitely not everybody. I'm Luke. I'm part of the huge team here. Um, I think a lot of you are part of that team, which is super exciting. It is my privilege to share the word with you guys. Um, I don't know how great of an idea it was to give me this long with a microphone, but I'm going to go for it. Normally, they just give me little snippets. They're like, okay, we're just going to rein you in for about you know, seven minutes, but I've got more than that this morning. So I want to talk about something this morning that I think our society uses this word that I'm kind of focusing on in many different meaning, a lot of different meanings, a lot of different contexts, and a lot of different interpretations. And the word alone that I'm focusing on can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. This morning I'm going to talk about pride, the heart attitude of pride. And this is not meant to be a condemning message, and more on that later, but I want to dig into it a little bit. I want to take this a little more seriously than I think it gets taken in church. The attitude of pride, which is seeing yourself as greater than the people around you, and possibly seeing yourself as greater than God himself. I think this is a crucially important topic, but I think it's super misunderstood as well. And so, not only do I want to dig into this, but I want to clarify a few things of what pride is not. Because I think we get it a little bit turned around in our brains, and it can leave us in a scary spot. So the book of Proverbs is where I'm going to start. It is, after all, the wisdom book. And so I figure, rather than starting with some clever line that I'm going to try to create, I'll start from the wisdom book. So, book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, I have a very, very personal experience with this verse. When I read this, this moment in my life came to my mind, And I think it kind of sums this up quite accurately. I think often we say, you've probably heard before, well, pride comes before the fall. This is pride comes before destruction. Destruction is significantly worse than the fall, and a haughty spirit, it's not up there. The word haughty is like spelled weird, and I don't even know how to pronounce it, but I kind of love it. Um, Just means being arrogant, having an arrogant, pompous attitude. 
And so when I think of this, the story that I, in my life that comes to mind was, whew, this is a rough one. Um, so I was 19, which obviously, as you guys all know, when you're 19, you know everything, of course. Um, I had my beautiful wife on my arm, you know? We were dating at the time, but I was like, okay, I'm doing okay. Um, and I went on a family vacation with her family on a cruise ship. Now, I didn't, if you grew up with stuff like that, maybe this is a little more normal. I didn't grow up with cruise ships. That seemed like something so far off that like billionaires go on, but her family is a very modest family, and they're like, no, no, we're gonna go for it. And I was like, okay. So I did it, and I went on this cruise ship, and again, I was dating her, and her whole family was there, so of course, what was my entire, what do you think, if, if you've been a 19-year-old man, what do you think your entire purpose is, is of course impressing her, and getting brownie points for her family, right? I had to impress everybody. Obviously, that was my purpose of this, of this whole cruise ship. Oh, yeah, I'll have fun and, and all that, but I gotta impress some people. I gotta like, and maybe it worked, but not by this story. Um, so what this led to, there was this one moment where we all, um, you, I'll try to give you a bit of a visual. It was kind of like this, so everybody, all the, the food court was like this. Everybody was sitting, it was great, very packed. It was like the peak meal time. But then there was these stairs up here that led up into like a little like veranda area. And that's where Emily's family was eating. And so I was up there eating with them and we decided, you know what, we're gonna, we want another round of food. We want some more food, it's all you can eat. We ate a lot. But it, we were like, okay, so Emily, if you know Emily, she wanted more tacos, this was pretty standard. But then everybody else was like, okay, hey, we're done with the tacos, we're gonna get into the desserts now. And I was like, well, we can do both at the same time. Come on, somebody. And so we went for it, and everybody's like, okay, I'm gonna go get this, and everybody's talking about it, and I was like, hold up, guys. I'll go get all of it. I can, I can handle this. And I was like, I'll get you what you want, what do you want, what do you want? She's got five siblings, okay? <laughs> and her parents were there, and there was friends there, and I was like, no, I'm gonna get everything. I'm gonna get everything everybody needs, because I'm the guy, right? So I go down, and I start with the trays, and these are those big, you know, cafeteria-style trays, heavy, um, and I take one and I just fill it with taco stuff. Because, I mean, she probably could have taken it all down, but it was like, this is enough tacos for a bunch of people. And I take the other one and I pile it with desserts. So the taco tray has, has salsa, it's got shredded lettuce. Um, the shredded lettuce is like burned into my brain forever, but I'll explain that in a minute. And there was, you know, cheese and just everything was, all of the things you would want for tacos was just piled up on this tray. The other one, I took cheesecakes, I took ice cream and just piled it all high, ready to feed 15 people on these two trays. And the food court's down the stairs, I'm just gonna start, give you that. And so I'm walking, and I had such a swagger, cause like, and <laughs> if, if you know me and my wife very well, or you've spent more than two minutes with her, she's probably spilled something on herself. Coffee or anything else you can think of. If you see stains in the church carpet, you can thank her for that. Um, I think we're gonna have to pay for like professional carpet cleaning before we leave. But I, I don't do that. I consider myself a lot more smooth than that. And this is a constant, this is a constant, constant joke. And normally, she can back me up, normally it's true. This morning, we were each driving with a coffee and she's like, these new lids are terrible because there's coffee all over the cup. This is this morning. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> not a drop, it spilled for mine. I, so I was like, it might not be the lid. More, anyways, <laughs> I love her dearly. Um, back to me, back to me, I'll, I'll, I'll own this one, I'll own this one. So I take these trays and I'm like, all right, I'm ready to just be smooth as silk and just deliver all of the goods. 
And so I approached the stairs, and I just, you know, I'm cruising up there, and everybody down there is like, you know, just having, the, having their chats, enjoying their whatever you do on a cruise, I don't know. And I'm walking up the stairs, and all of a sudden, I kind of forget how to walk upstairs. And, and I, I, a fall is, is an understatement. And so when I read this verse, this was destruction, okay? <laughs> this was absolute destruction. I, I didn't fall, I, I was destroyed in that moment. And so I somehow just missed a stair or something, and so I fell, and I swear, like, I got a 10-foot clearance of this stuff, just ice cream and tacos and meat, just everything. And of course, I'm, I'm wearing half of it, the other half's still in the air somewhere, just everywhere. And the trays, I don't know if you know what I mean, I don't mean those flimsy, like, fast food trays, I mean those heavy, like, knock somebody out trays, okay? And so, the way I fell, I tried to, like, catch myself on them, and so it was like a, but it was, like, uh, it made an echo, I, I don't know how this happened, but everything went quiet. And this is, like, probably 150 people, I don't know, because it looked like it was a couple thousand, I don't know how many were there, but it looked like a lot. And so everybody just stops. And it was one of those movie moments where everything just froze. And I'm just like laying. And I actually like cut my legs. So I was just laying there in tacos, ice cream, and blood. And everybody, I just like, I was like, wait, did time just freeze? Like, how is everything this quiet? And I look and just every single eye is on me. Every single one. And all of a sudden it didn't feel so smooth anymore. And I mean, everyone heard this, like I said, so her family kind of comes around the corner, her first, I don't know, thankfully, I don't know, and I was just, I looked up to see like my saving grace, and she's just like, I've never seen somebody laugh so hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> because for her, this was like, this was finally the moment <laughs> where I was the one that did it. And literally, that's what she, and every time this story comes up, I mentioned it to her last night, I was like, oh, I might go there, and she starts laughing. And I was like, okay. It's, this isn't over for her. And in that moment, everything changed for me. And the pride and the smooth man that I thought I was just disappeared. And I, I just stood up, and there was like, obviously people, like this was bad, like everybody's rushing over, and they're like, oh my goodness, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, fine. And I just like, and then she came to me trying to ask if I was okay, but couldn't get it out from, through the laughter. And, I was just like, yup, and just booked it. I didn't know where I was going, but I was just like speed walking into the bathroom. And in this moment, I was in the bathroom and I was like trying to get the blood and the food all off myself. And I was like, this is it for me. I don't think I can continue. Like, I'm just gonna have to jump ship right now. Like, I, I can't go back out there. And yeah, everything changed rather quickly for me in that moment. And for the rest of the day, I was so focused on like, I'd walk past someone, I'm like, ooh, they probably saw that. And like, for the rest of the day, I went from this, you know, this swagger, I lost that real quick. And so for the rest of the day, I was kind of like this guy, you know, like trying to like wear a hoodie on, in the Caribbean or something, I don't know. I just, I wasn't feeling so great anymore. <laughs> so I'll touch more on that in a minute, but this is how I envision this verse. Pride led to a lot more than just a fall for me. So when I think about pride, and I try to apply it in a biblical context, I see it woven through the entire Bible. I see it woven through the existence of mankind. Before creation even started, pride was the first thing that, caught, that, that is noticed. The, the, and timelines are weird. I have no idea where it is. I'm not going to try to make this up. 
but it was before Adam at some point, Lucifer fell. Now, the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel both record a commentary on this, um, and there's a bunch of like theological debate, but I'm like 99% sure most theologians agree that this is what he's commenting on. So Ezekiel records in chapter 28, verse 12, he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Okay, shoot, that's a pretty good bio, I think. <laughs> that's not bad. Seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And God himself wrote this little bio note for, for the guy. Now, Lucifer liked this a lot, and he let it get to his head. He realized that, okay, well, if I'm that beautiful, and I'm that smart, and I'm made of perfection, well, then what does God have that I don't have? Maybe I can be like him. Maybe I can raise, even raise above him. If I get enough followers and continue on this perfection journey that I'm on, maybe I can get up above him. And Ezekiel continues in verse 17 and says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And continuing on this story, Isaiah chimes in in chapter 12, verses 12 to 15. And he says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods, far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Dang, that's pretty heavy. Um, and I think that he's not the only one. So this is where it started, but it grows from there. So we continue on and look at the dawn of mankind. The human being was created. Again, I don't know timelines. It kind of feels like it's like a couple days. Adam and Eve are chilling there. Maybe somebody with more theological prowess could, could tell you. I don't know. I don't think they lasted very long. It was before they had kids or anything. And there was one tree, just, just one, that God's like, don't eat that one. Everything else is fine, just not that one. But because the serpent came up to them and said, well, he doesn't want you to eat that one because if you eat that one, you're going to be like him. They're like, oh, so we can be like God if we eat that. We can have the power. We can raise ourselves up. We don't have to worship him anymore. anymore. We don't even have to bow to him in any way. We can have all of the authority and all of the power that he has if we just eat that one apple. And so they went for it. Now, again, I think we can start to see ourselves in some of these narratives. At least I can for sure. Um, but let's fast forward again to the time of Moses. And I'm kind of jumping through here, but just, this is just to give you a, a brief glimpse of the fact that pride is just woven through the whole thing. It's not just in one spot or another. So the time of Moses, he went up to the mountain, the Ten Commandments were spoken into existence. The first one in Exodus 20 verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, in this North American culture, this isn't something I think a lot of us really think much about. At least I didn't. I grew up, you know, knowing who God was, and I was like, okay, just can't worship other things. That's not a big deal. I get it. Um, and I, I recognize, and from traveling the, the little bits that I have, I've, I know in other cultures this is more of a problem. There are people that have multiple gods and multiple ideas of, of, of deities and these different things. 
But I think in North America, we think we have this one checked off. We've got that box figured out. So we worship other things. To not have another God means to not worship anything else. It doesn't just need to be in the form of a God or a religion. We tend to worship money, success, relationships, status, structure, churches, people, pastors. We tend to worship other things that are not God himself. And I don't think that I'm, I'm a revolutionary to suggest that we worship other things other than God and that's a problem. This is known, but what I think isn't talked about quite enough is the fact that I think we sometimes fall into the trap of making ourselves the God in our own life. We tend to think, we read through the Bible or, or we hear something from God or, or from a church or from an elder, and we think, okay, that's your opinion, but I know better. Um, this isn't a millennial thing at all, so no. Um, and then, or we think, we'll be reading through it and we go, okay, but that's our, that part doesn't apply to me though. I, I, I got that, it's fine. Maybe for other people they need that. You know, maybe the senior citizens need that. But us young people, we, that doesn't apply to us anymore. That's so, that's so old school, you know? That's so whatever. We think that we know better. And we develop this attitude in our spirits that, well, we know better than him. We know better than everyone. But when we live outside of the way we are called, we are acting upon the attitude that we know better than God himself. But like Lucifer, we were created beautifully, right? And I want us to know that this morning. We are created beautifully as sons and daughters of the most high God. We are not supposed to be, okay, well, if I can't worship myself, then I should just be nothing. But in 1 Peter, he writes, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's pretty good, okay? We are royalty, okay? I want us to get that. I want us to get that. Okay, I'm going to try something. Can everybody say, I am? I am. Now say royalty. Royalty. I want you to feel that. I want you to embrace that, okay? I feel like not enough of us quite believe that. We need to say it, we need to embrace it, we need to believe it. I don't think these things, well, I know these things would not be in scripture. God would not be speaking these things over us if we were supposed to just put that in a corner and say, oh no, no, that's, that's, that's prideful, we can't live in that place. We can't think that we're holy, we can't think that we are, we are chosen, we can't think that we are created beautifully, because that's gonna lead to pride for sure. But, but why is it in there then? And if we are created with such beauty, and so intentionally formed by him, how are we gonna avoid the pride? How are we gonna keep ourselves in that, in that zone where we recognize it, but we don't get full of ourselves? And the encouraging part today is that we kind of can't. Now, I'm not out of time yet, thankfully. So when we realize this, when I realize this, when I start to really reflect on the fact that, oh, wait a minute, that swagger that I thought I had, that might not go away anytime soon. That's not something that I can just avoid and it's never gonna come back to me. I start to relate with Paul when he wrote in the book of Romans, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I start to feel that a little bit, but probably not so eloquently, but I feel that. And then God steps in. He looks down, he sees us in our mess, he heard our cry out to him, looking for some sort of savior, 
and he stepped right in. I can almost see the conversation happening in heaven. Now, this is, you're not going to find this in your Bible, so don't look for it, but I can see this, this picture of humankind living and me walking with swagger and the way that we all live, and I can see God looking throughout eternity and saying, they're not going to make it. They're not, they're not going to make it. They can't make it. And then Jesus is there and says, I can make it. Let me go. I'll make it for them so that they don't have to and because they can't. Let me go. Let me step in. Jesus steps in and does what we could not do. In Romans 8, verse 3 to 4, it says, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He stepped in when we could not. He did what we couldn't do. And he fully achieved and fulfilled the law that we time and time again just kept breaking as a a species. And when we fully understand this, when we understand that 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 we just can't do it, we can't make it, we're not gonna make it. We understand that he stepped in, he did what we couldn't do, Humility starts to enter the story. Jesus fulfilled the law, took care of it, and so now what? Does that mean that we can just live in our pride? Can we live however we want? If he's completed the law and he's fulfilled it in its completion, then what is he teaching us? What is he, what, what is he gonna, now what? Can we just go do whatever we want? Is that the teaching of Jesus? But he's a lot wiser than that. And the two lovely names that come up in the Bible, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, lovely folk, um, they were thinking the same thing. These are the religious leaders of the day. And they gathered, they went to Jesus, and they noticed this. Okay, well, if he's saying he completed the law, so the law's gone. What's he, what's, what's he got now? What's he going to say? And they tried to stump him. Side note, I kind of love how often they try this. They're like, oh, that Jesus guy, he knows nothing. Let's go get him. It's not going to work. It's happened so many times. Literally, the verse before I, the one I start reading says, because the Sadducees stumped him or, or could not find fault in him, we're going to try it. Like, everybody kept having their go at it. Doesn't work. Um, every time he responds, he's underestimated so often, and he always responds with such truth and wisdom and delivers it in a humility type of mindset. And it's, it's, it's incredible. So in Matthew 22, verse 34, I'm actually going to read from the Passion Translation because I think it gives us a little bit, it, it's, I find it a little easier to understand. And it says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they called a meeting to discuss how to trap Jesus. Then one of them, a religious scholar, posed this question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? I also think he's using teacher like super condescendingly. You know, he's like, hey, teacher, tell us. He's, he's hoping that he doesn't have an answer. He's hoping to catch him and trap him. Jesus answered him, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. This is the greatest and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. And this next part is crazy. Contained within these commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. Love God, love others. Now when he says all the law and the prophets, 
This is actually in reference to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Law. When he's saying the law, the law is often referred to as the Torah, the the Hebrew Bible of those first five books that have like 600 and something laws within them. We think of the Ten Commandments, there's a lot more than that. Again, they just kept making them, humans kept breaking them, it became a pattern. And the prophets, he's not talking about all those old guys, he's talking about all those books. The books that are the prophets are a bunch, a collection of Old Testament books that have been written and have instruction of how to live in them. And he's saying that all of that is contained within it. The meaning of all of that is contained within just love God and love others. And when we are loving God in this way, there's no room to have God before him. And this is what Jesus does. He comes in, he shakes things up a little bit. He changes the game and says, it's not about the box to check off. The law said, worship no other God, have no other God. But I say, love God. And the difference there is that one is focused on the action and one is focused on the attitude. But when we love him that way, our actions follow suit. Because our actions are expressed from our attitudes. Or said the other way, our attitudes express themselves through our actions. And so when we love God like that, there's no room to worship anyone else because we're so in love with him. And when we're loving others like that, there's no room for murder, there's no room for stealing, there's no room for cheating, for lying, for any of that, when we are in complete and perfect love of the people around us. And so all he had to say was, love the other people, but it contains all of that other stuff within it when it's done properly. It's not about checking off boxes anymore, it's about your heart. It's not your actions, it's about your attitudes. But with this, Like I said, our actions will follow. And earlier, we saw that pride comes with a self-focus. When we inflate ourselves and puff ourselves up, we start to lose sight of everything else around us. When we're focused on what we're doing and how we're acting and how we're striving to either be better, be above others, but whatever it is, it's a very self-focused attitude. When I see these commandments, I see a completely outward-focused attitude. We are called to love God and love others. God first, others second, and us last. But hold on though, didn't we say that we're chosen and holy and royal? Well, well what is, how, can, how can we just put ourselves last if, if, we're, if that's how we're supposed to be called to live? Let's go back to that verse in 1 Peter 2. I kind of tricked you. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, the verse says, you are, you are chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. That is who we are. Don't lose sight of that. But we're created like that for a reason, to worship him and to serve others. And what is the purpose of royalty if not to serve the people? C.S. Lewis has such an incredible quote on this. Um, He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. But I want to make something incredibly clear out of that that idea, that it is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not shame, humility is not guilt, humility is not self-condemnation. These things have no place 
in the house of the Lord. No place. That is not how we are called to live in any way. And too often do we get in the mindset that if we just simply lower ourselves and keep our focus on taking ourselves and just, just decimating who we are and accepting that we are nothing, then that's how we stay humble. But that's the attitude where shame lives, that's the attitude where guilt lives, and self-condemnation start to take root within you. And that is not how we're called to live. And I want to challenge you a step further that those attitudes still have an inward focus. So even if we look at ourselves and we say, oh, I'm nothing because I'm this and I did this and I did this and I, I feel this, all of those sentences start with I. That still has an inward focus. Whether it's positive or negative, when the focus is completely inward, we can't live in that true humility that we're called to. We get in the attitude that our sin is so great, that our shame is so powerful, that maybe it's too much for Jesus. Maybe he wouldn't, he wouldn't go for, for that. Other people's sin and shame and guilt, that's not that bad, but mine, it's too far. How did we get in the mindset where we give our sin more power than his salvation? How did we get there? Nothing is more powerful than that. He completed it completely. He did what we could not do. He did it. Not, not present tense, he's not doing, he's not bringing, he's not achieving, he did it. It's finished. And so what I think true humility is, it comes in knowing that we are chosen, in knowing that we are royal, and in knowing that we are holy, that we are his special possession, but that we can't make it on our own. And it's, it, it's, it's tough to do that. It, it's a balancing act there. And it's recognizing that, yeah, we are princes, yeah, I can't say that, princes and princesses, but that we are lost without our king. That doesn't mean you're not a prince. That doesn't mean you're not a princess. You just need your king. That's all. And secondly, it comes when we take the focus off of ourselves, whether that be a positive, haughty type of vibe and attitude, or whether that be a negative, oh, I'm nothing. However the focus, if it's completely self-focused, positive or negative, it's not going to get us where we need to be. When we take that focus and shift it onto God, and onto the people around us, we start to live in harmony with him. And with this view of humility, knowing that we are who we are made to be, but we can't make it on our own, and knowing that it comes with an outward, not an inward focus, how humble are we this morning? And again, do not forget what I said about humility not being shame, not being guilt, not being self-condemnation. So if you start to feel that, that's not what he has for you. He has something so much more beautiful and so much more powerful. But with that view, why do we do the things that we do? Why do you hold the door open for somebody? Is it because you don't want them to have to struggle or because they're holding something or because you just want to bless that person? Or is it because it makes you look good? I want to take it a step further. Why do we serve in church? Is it unto the glory of the Lord? Is it to serve the people around us? Is it out of love for the congregation? Do we serve in the kids' ministry because we just want to raise up that generation for the Lord? Or is it because there's a cute girl in the kids' ministry? And maybe if I spend lots of time there, well then, you know, that might work out for me eventually. And then once I get her, I can leave the kids' ministry. I just, I want us to take some time this morning and kind of reflect on that. All of our actions are rooted in an attitude 
And so, yes, I'm talking about the action, but I, I want to know about the attitude behind it. Don't stop doing those things. Don't stop serving. Don't stop holding the door. But if you've got an attitude that's self-focused and that thinks that you're doing it all out of your own power, maybe we can work on switching that around this morning. Maybe we can start thinking about what it looks like to live in harmony with our creator, serving and loving him, and focusing on the people around us. So I'm going to have the band come back up, and I want to kind of have a time of reflection this morning. I feel like this, this message was laid in my heart. I've, I've shared bits and pieces with it with a few different groups before, and I just felt like I was supposed to flesh it out more, and that we were supposed to really think about this this morning. So when, they, when, the, when the band comes up and they go back into worship, I want us to kind of just, just reflect on, on your heart this morning. Because when Jesus says, it's about your heart, it's about the love, these commands to love include all of the weight of the commandments. Where, where are we at with that? How is our attitude this morning? And so when they start playing again, I want us to think about, okay, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Maybe think about the actions. Because I think as humans, it's a lot easier to understand what we're doing. And when we try to look inward and say, oh, okay, where's my heart with that? It, it can get a little abstract and a little confusing. So maybe start with an action, but trace it back to the attitude. And so whether you want to sit through the next song and just, just pray and just, just seek God, because don't forget, he's already taken care of any pride. So if you find that, don't let shame come in. Don't let guilt come in. Don't let condemnation come in. That's not from him at all. Just let him speak into you. Let him work through you. Let him change that attitude into an outward focus and into a God focus. And I just think that when we really take this in and accept that he did it, we're good, we're free, we are not, there is no change, there is no condemnation in Christ, we can achieve that attitude where we're in that sweet spot. That balance of humility that says, I am royalty, but I need him. And when we live in that place, we start to understand him a bit more, and we start to live out of that attitude. And maybe you're in a place this morning where, you know what, you feel like you're stuck in an attitude. You need to break it. Maybe you need to respond physically. I think often we need to respond on the outside to what's happening on the inside for it to really take root in our heart. And so if you need to come to the front to just pray and surrender and say, Jesus, take this attitude from me, I want to turn it around and I want to focus on you. If you don't believe that you're royalty, let him speak to you this morning. He'll tell you. He'll speak it to you. You are royalty. You are chosen. And you are his. And you are so loved. If you don't believe that, I think he wants to show you what that looks like this morning. And so if it looks like sitting down for this next song, great. If it looks like standing and praising loud, amazing. If you want to come to the front, we've got a team that can pray with you and help you and, and, and seek the Lord on breaking that. Because we don't want to see any chains in this place. So God, we come to you as we know we should, as we know we should be focusing all of our heart and all of our energy and all of our attitudes. Lord, we want to let you tell us who we are, not the world, not our own self-image, not our own self-issues. God, we want to hear it from you. 
I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Every heart here that thinks that they are not worthy, they would know that they're worth Jesus to you. You sent him to die in their place. And if we don't feel that this morning, help us feel that. And if we feel like our attitudes are getting lost and confused and in a place where we're so inward focused, whether it be positive or negative, that we don't even see the people around us, we don't even see the hurting world that needs us so desperately and needs you so desperately, God, I pray you would just change attitudes this morning. I pray you would start to transform hearts and turn it upside down. That you would take this this earth, take the way it calls us and tells us to live and just flip it on its head. Help us know who we are, that we are royal, we are chosen, we are holy, but that we need you to maintain that. And we need you to help us keep that focus off of us and onto you, off of us and onto the people around us. So God, I pray you would speak to each one in this building this morning. Everybody that can hear my voice this morning, I pray that they would feel your presence and they would know that they are loved, they're chosen, and they're absolutely adored by you. God, we need you to speak because clearly it's, the, the world's not working. The world has a different message for us. So God, I pray we would hear your voice and it would cut through all the noise this morning. Amen. Amen.